Good morning. Our reading today is from Hebrews chapter 11. You're welcome to read along if you've brought your Bible, or if you need one, you can go to the back, and somehow we magically find some. So, Hebrews 11, we'll be starting in verse 23 this morning. And if we've never met before, I'm Rob. I'm so glad you're here. Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking forward to his reward." By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, and he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them, for seven days. This is God's word, and it's good for us. Question for you, does fear ever keep you from doing something that you sense deep down that you were created to do? The African Impala, not the Chevy Impala, the African Impala is an amazing creature. I hear it's won J.D. Power and Associate Awards or something. Uh, But the African Impala is an amazing creature. It can leap 13 feet at a standing position straight up in the air. Not only can it leap that high up, it can leap out, 30 feet out to be exact. And the the Impala's back acts like a shock absorber, which is pretty amazing because its feet are like rockets. But if you go to the zoo, you will see the Impala can actually be contained by a four-foot wall. And zookeepers do this simply by exploiting one weakness that the Impala has. See, the Impala is hesitant to jump anywhere that it cannot see the landing. So their inability to see where it's going to land actually hinders its ability to do something that it's naturally and uniquely created to do. In other words, their inability to take a leap of faith, if you will, keeps the Impala from doing what it was born to do, what God created it to do. So it becomes this adult with this amazing ability to jump, to live the way it was designed to live, and yet it can't jump freely when it doesn't know how to take a leap by faith. So back to the opening question, does fear ever keep you from doing something that you sense deep down you're supposed to do? Maybe it's this fear of the unknown, like how something is going to turn out. I really want to do this, I'm just not sure how it's going to turn out, like our meet and greet question. Maybe it's a fear from some authority somewhere, sometime, in some place told you that you couldn't or shouldn't do that, be that, try that, and so it's just kept you from ever going there, ever taking that jump. Or maybe it's a fear that's deep 
in you. Uh, This fear that you're not enough or that that thing that you sense isn't really important. And whatever it is, I want you to, if you would, hold that today and ask the Holy Spirit about that. Because our theme is uncommon decisions. It's those significant and I believe actually sacred moments of our lives that can change our direction, our identity, and our future. But it requires us to see them and then jump to them, if you will. It's not taking the blind leap of faith, but it is taking some kind of leap into that place. And it's, it's called significant and sacred because it can't really be measured by minutes or hours. It can only be measured by significance. And today my prayer is that we'll learn to recognize these moments as well as learn what it takes to jump into them. So this series, if you're just joining us, is called Uncommon. We've been looking at Hebrews 11, and we've been reading about these heroes of faith and seeing how they connect to our everyday lives, what it means to live this risky, rewarding life of faith, a life that impacts our everyday as well as our eternity. And the reading that we were looking at today centers around this person known as Moses. And you first hear Moses' story in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. However, if we're honest, most of us don't spend a lot of time in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But the people who were hearing the letter of the Hebrews, they would have known that story forwards and backwards. Many of them had even had it memorized. So if there were any gaps, any missing parts to that story, or any pieces added to that story, they would have known it immediately and understood the significance of those moments. And so if we compare the Hebrews edition, if you will, of the story, to the first edition, the one in the Old Testament, we can see those missing pieces as well the gaps that actually seem important to the story. And if we understand the gaps, I think we'll better understand how to recognize these significant sacred moments for our lives that God invites us to that can change the direction of our lives, that can change our identity, who we see ourselves as, and our future if, if we'll jump into them. So the first major gap is is in this reading that we had. It's in between Moses' birth and Moses' adulthood. It just simply slides by the 40 years that he spends in Egypt. He spends those as a prince of Egypt because he is adopted by one of Pharaoh's daughters. So if he's adopted by one of Pharaoh's daughters, that means he has a life of privilege. He has access to the best education. He has access to abundant food. He has access to military training and all the history of the world. It is the greatest civilization of all time. In fact, I would venture to say that it's pretty accurate that his needs and probably most of his wants are all met. Sounds pretty great. However, the Hebrew writer finds it fit to just simply minimize that part of the story, to make a gap there, And I think he does that, so I'm assuming it's a he, it may not be, but I think the writer does that so that we can see more easily the sacred moment when Moses one day says, I am no longer going to be a prince of privilege. 
who I was created to be is one of God's people in persecution, if it's in persecution. And that is a defining moment in Moses' life. And he doesn't know how it's going to turn out. He just knows that God is asking him to step into it, and he jumps. Now, the second major gap is when he leaves Egypt and then keeps the Passover. And there's another 40 years that happened. See, the Bible, when it describes 40, though, it is also telling us this little catch, this little symbol that whenever you see 40, it means something is dying and something new is being born. It takes 40 weeks for a baby to come forth. And if that's the first one, then a woman's singlehood dies. If it's the second one or the third one, um, I've heard that a woman's body dies. But I'm not going to say that because I'm not there. And uh, anyway, there's something great that's being born. I'm getting a glare from a lady in the front. <laughs> and I want to get to our guest. So uh, let's get back on track. He actually did leave in the first edition in fear. But the Hebrew writer says he left not fearing. And the part that's missing is the 40 years that he spends in a place called strife. Midian, that's what strife is what Midian means. And he spends that time learning to protect and provide for a flock of sheep. But it's minimized, I think, so that we can more easily see the sacred moment that is there when God speaks to him through a burning bush and he's invisible, he sees him who is invisible, and he says, that's who I'm going to be. I'm going to play a part in God's rescue, and he goes back. And the Passover is emphasized so that we can more easily see that that's the moment when God's people said, yes, if I paint my door the way that God said, I am choosing that I am no longer a slave in Egypt. I am choosing to live as one of God's people, and he says he's going to rescue us, and I will go. And I'm not exactly sure how it's going to turn out, but I'm going. And the last gap occurs between this part in Hebrews where it says they passed through the Red Sea and by faith the walls of Jericho fell. And if you know the story, then in the first edition, there's a major gap. There are 40 years where God's people wander in the wilderness. And they're waiting as God prepares them. They're wandering because they continually doubt him. And it's this time of struggle as they struggle to trust God. But yet by leaving out the gap... They take these 40 years of wandering and wondering and struggling and it just is more minimized so that we can easily see the jump that God's people make out of Egypt and jump to this future that is in the promised land. And that means so much more than physical. It means relational and emotional. It means they're being the kinds of people that God wants them to be, that he's designed them to be, that he sees them to be. It's like those gaps are these pauses. If, if we're football fans, are there football fans? Like, no, just, okay, there's a few. All right, so that may not work. Um, well, it's like a highlight reel. But if we're, if we're actors or in band or choirs, the gaps are like the mistakes. They're the pieces that we'd actually want to take out. 
And in the first edition, they're there, but in this edition, they're not because the writer is trying to show us what a life of faith looks like in the long range that God sees. The gaps are actually just blips in the highlight reel. And I think he leaves those, or she leaves those, because if we notice what's missing, then we have a greater awareness of what he's highlighting or what God wants us to see. And I actually think the best way we can understand this is by having Leanne Esch come up. Leanne is our prayer team leader, but she's also someone who stepped into being a missionary in Kenya for three months this summer with Chariots of Hope. And rather than take any parts of her story, I'll just let you share your story, Leanne. All right. I'm armed with my squishy and the Holy Spirit and my cheering section, so I'm all set. So, um, Pastor Rob was talking about the gaps, and I'm up here to talk oh, thank you, uh, about my experience in Kenya, but there's a whole lot of uh, my gap story. Uh, Hebrews 11 is this beautiful culmination of the great moments of faith in uh, people's lives, but there's always, if you read in the Old Testament, there's always this pulling and stretching and times of growth. So I want to share a little bit about um, my times of stretching. And I'm going to begin by reading Psalm 66, verses 8 through 12. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. And Kenya, for me, was this great place of abundance. Um, it was a culmination of just a lot of time of stretching and growing in my life. I was making these great leaps of faith and having these um, small sacred moments where I said yes to the Lord all along the way before he sent me. Um, so the fire in the scripture says we went through fire and water. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about what that looked like for me. So fire, I associate with refinement. It's God's process of molding us and making us more like him. And for me, there's been just a ton of progress from who I was to who I am. I used to be, and still am to a certain extent, you know, it's a constant cycle of overcoming our fears, but I was very much a person who buried my talents. I um, didn't like to take risks. I was afraid of failing, and I didn't feel like the things that I had to offer were quite good enough, so I buried. Um, I've also always been a person who was afraid to raise my voice. I didn't think what I had to say was necessarily all that important. And a lot of fears around singing and offering my gifts to the Lord. I've been a person plagued with self-doubt, anxiety, insecurities, and just a lot of fear. And I believe this is how God likes to prove himself. He takes someone like me who is afraid to speak, who likes to hide, who thinks she is small and insignificant, and he shows his strength through a weak vessel. And then we have the water, and water in the Bible often symbolizes rebirth 
or cleansing and new life. And for me, um, I went through a period of rebirth and cleansing and new life through a time of great um, suffering in my life where God really had to show me who he was. Um, The fire kind of shows me who I am, but the overwhelming water, that sense that you are helpless and desperate and can do nothing but trust in God, that shows us who God is, right? That he's huge and that he can handle our problems. And for me, it was um, that time for me, I was married and had a, a... a marriage full of struggling and pulling and stretching for me. And I got a divorce, which is something I never thought would happen in my life. It was a very, um, my heart was just completely shattered. And uh, throughout that whole process, I really learned, you know, I, I had faith in God, but I really learned who God is. He was my comfort. He was my strength. He was my anchor. Um, he was everything to me. So um, as we learn like who God is, his strength, who he is, our weaknesses don't matter as much. So for me, like though I am weak, I know how strong God is. So I can do things that scare me because I know he's got me. You know, I know he cares about me. So um, as you listen just to my story about Kenya, there are just some things I want you to keep in mind that there's nothing about my nature that's bold and courageous. I'm just not. And yet through God's refining fire, I became someone who knew she could trust God for bold things. And I've learned how strong God is, so I no longer really care about how weak I am. And if you have any thought in your head that says, I could never do that, it's just a lie. Because if you are saying yes um, to the ways God is refining you and you're trusting in him when the waters seem like they're over your head, then he is likely preparing you for a big sacred moment in your life. It's all these little steps along the way and then the big um, showing off of God. So um, just to kind of jump ahead a little bit and tell you a little bit more of the backstory about how I got my mission to go to Kenya... Uh, about a year after my divorce, God asked me to take one of those Impala jumps where I couldn't see the other side and it didn't make any sense to me. He wanted me to share, uh, to vocalize my trauma story with someone. There were just parts of my marriage that uh, were too painful to talk about and nothing that I was able to share even with my close trusted friends. And um, it created just a a pain that settled in my heart. So even though I had made a lot of progress, God had healed me. I was looking forward in my life. Uh, Things seemed to be going well. It was at this point that God says, you need to talk. And I was like, what? You know, why why drudge up all that pain when I'm focused and doing well? Um, But though I didn't understand it, I said yes. And I met with a spiritual director for several weeks very painful. I cried. I hated it. Um, But at the end of that, I really was released from all of that pain that was just kind of settled in my heart. So I learned from that that it's really important that we tell our stories, um, not only for our own healing, but they offer glory to God. 
So fast forward to about a year ago, I knew that I was called to go to Kenya. Um, I knew a few things, like I knew the organization I was going to go with was Chariots for Hope, but I still didn't know what my mission was going to be when I went. And I was talking with the director of Chariots for Hope, and we were praying about that, asking God to reveal what he wanted me to do. And she was telling me about a trauma training that they were doing for the Kenyan staff and trying to help the kids kind of process their trauma stories because all of the kids, I should say Chariots for Hope, um, runs children's homes or orphanages in Kenya. So um, that's their purpose. And so as I was talking with Crystal, I shared with her my own trauma story and this experience of learning how important it is that we tell our stories. And it became really clear that God was leading me to help the teenagers in the homes be able to vocalize their own trauma stories. So I wind up, wound up going with the mission of visiting one-on-one -on -one with the teenagers, mostly girls, but some boys. And um, the funny thing was, I didn't even know that God was going to ask me to do this, but I had to go first. I shared my story with the girls as a, a way of being vulnerable and helping them feel like they could trust me and seeing that I'm a weak vessel but also seeing how powerful God was in my story to carry me through my pain. So I shared my story, and then I would say, I know you've had your own experiences of pain, and I would love to hear about them. And I would just ask them questions, you know, how did you come to the children's home, and do you know your parents? And so I had the immense privilege of listening to these stories and holding them with them as they shared, and oftentimes they cried which is not a very African thing to do. Um, the Holy Spirit was just moving. And I was amazed God would use me to just give a certain word of encouragement or hope to them. And we would pray and I could feel that God was doing something. But for me, it was so stretching and so, I don't know, challenging to just hear their stories. And some of the themes that came out, all of them grew up hungry um, most of the time, they did not have a guarantee that they would go to school because there were school fees, and they, if they couldn't afford the fees, they were sent home. Well, school is their hope for the future, so there was just a, a devastating lack of hope. And uh, most of them had either the death or abandonment of one or more of their parents, one or both of their parents, and oftentimes the relatives that were charged to care for them didn't really care for them. Um, had enough struggles trying to care for themselves or their own kids, so their neglect was very much a part of their stories. Um, some of the more dramatic stories I heard that really sat hard on me that I had to just release to the Lord. Um, one in particular, I had a, a teenage girl who shared with the story with me, and I'm not sure she had ever shared it with anybody. She was real hesitant and she shared that her grandfather was a devil worshiper, and he would sacrifice um, his family members to the devil. And she became aware that she was next to be sacrificed and escaped to the children's home. So these are the kinds of things that they're just, I mean, just 
unimaginable sorts of circumstances. But what I also came to recognize as I heard more and more of their stories is often there was an element of faith in these children. And they would say, I was so hungry, but I just asked God to please provide for me. And you could hear just this thread of faith in them trusting God to help them. And I began to see that God really handpicked the children that uh, were rescued into the children's homes because he had a purpose for them and because they had this childlike faith that allowed him to provide for them. So Kenya changed me in a lot of ways, and um, Pastor Rob alluded briefly to Moses and the life of privilege. And one of the ways it changed me was redefining what I think of as a privileged life. If you had asked me before I went to Kenya, what does someone who's really privileged look like? I would have said, ah, some bratty kid whose parents are, you know, have super a lot of money and they just play golf and feast all day long. This would be my idea of privilege, right? But since coming home from Kenya, my definition of privilege is me. I am privileged. We, everyone in this room, is leading a privileged life. Just being immersed in a culture where um, water is not guaranteed, electricity is not guaranteed, people don't have cars, you know, just all the kinds of things that you hear about, it really changed me to just be immersed in that and to see, wow, I, I hope before I never really took things for granted, but now I'm really like, yeah, okay. Like this morning I was thanking God for the water that came out of my sink to brush my teeth. So it's just, I really learned that we really do have privilege. And one story to kind of illustrate this, when I was at the children's homes, I stayed in the home. So most of the time I was staying with like a manager's family, um, but occasionally they would have guest rooms, which was awesome. So at this home I had a guest room, but they had a college student that was traveling through and needed a place to stay. So she stayed in my room with me. And one thing that was always stretching for me is they they don't have the same privacy rules that I have, like space. And so she was like, just on me like glue, like no private space at all, like sitting right next to me. And she's like going through my suitcase with all my things. And she's taking out my lotion like, wow, can I have some of this? And she's putting on the lotion. And you can tell she feels like she's like a queen right now putting on my lotion. And she picks up a little plastic photo album that I had of my family, like a $2 Walmart photo thing. And she goes, wow, you really have nice things. And I was like, yeah, if you only knew, like, I don't consider myself to have, like, a luxurious house or a fancy car, but I have nice things. We all have really nice things. So it just, so many things like that just highlighted that we really are living a life of privilege. And I want to know that my resources, what I do have, is being offered in a way that it impacts eternity, not just looks nice. So one of my favorite experiences in my Kenya journey was, um, so last October, you might remember, I went to Kenya for a 10-day trip just to kind of explore Chariots for Hope, and they were exploring me and making sure I was an okay person to, to interact with their kids. And while I was there for that 10-day trip, we did some home visits out in the community. 
And I, uh, one of the home visits, Joe, you can put up, yep. This is me in front of one of our home visits. They had just a basic mud and stick house, teeny tiny. Um, you know, they cooked with wood burning fire inside that house, so it was filled with smoke all the time. The younger one there with the little pink shirt was in charge of all the cooking, which didn't include a whole lot of food. But you can see his pants are falling off. They were just malnourished. And I'm standing there, and the Kenyan staff person that was with us, she leans over to the girl next to me, and I hear her say, we would take the younger two kids. Oh, I, the one in the red shirt was already living in the children's home. So you can, nope, not that one. Go back. Um, in the red shirt there. He was already, already living in the children's home. And you can kind of see a difference um, in his affect and cleanliness. But anyways, she said, we, we would take the younger two into the children's home if we had a sponsor. And I, I mean, that was a lightning bolt moment for me. My heart just went, what? Like I could, just a sponsor of $45 a month could take that child, those two kids, from living in that mud and stick house to a children's home where they are guaranteed food, clothes, um, taught about Jesus, and given a, a spiritual grounding for their lives, and their school fees are paid for, so they have hope. So in that moment, I knew, I don't care what it takes, I will be sponsoring these two children. And I came home, and I was telling the story to my friend Judy, who's here today, and she was like, I want to sponsor one of them. So I'm sponsoring Victor, the younger one, and Judy's sponsoring Shadrach. You can go to the next slide, Jill. This is my before and after of Victor. So I got to, when I went back to the home this summer, highlight for me to see these kids in the home. You can see this is just six months. The thing that strikes me is just his eyes. He's got no hope. And then you bring him into the children's home, and it's like they feel like they might just have a destiny, and they might be able to get out of that cycle of poverty. So sponsorship really matters. <laughs> and if you have any inkling to sponsor a child, I have information about that. I would love to talk with you about it. Um, but I just challenge you to think about the resources that you have and what you're doing with those because you can really make an eternal difference with the things that you have. So I want to invite you all. I'm going to this Friday at the Ministry Center, I am going to be having a Kenya celebration night and sharing more pictures and more stories about my experiences there. I would love to have you all come. I'm going to have dessert, so really you should come. And um, I would appreciate an RSVP so I know how to plan if you wouldn't mind emailing me, but don't let that be a hindrance to you. I'd love to have you come even if you didn't say you were going to come. So uh, God just kind of put some things on my heart. I just want to share to kind of wrap the story together. Uh, there were lots of moments leading up to my going to Kenya that were points of decision or jumping into the water moments for me. Uh, when I made the decision to go, there were a lot of things I didn't know. Um, how the money would be provided, what I would do about my job, where I would go, how long I would stay, where I would live, you know, just all the details I didn't know. My part was to seek, and God's part was to reveal. My part was to obey, and God's part was to put all the little pieces of the puzzle together. My part was to trust, and his part 
was to guide and to provide. How we respond to God in small, sacred moments becomes a foretelling of how we will respond to God in big, sacred moments. If we, would think, if we think we would respond to yes with God when he asks us to do something big in the future, but we're not willing to say yes when he asks us to do something small right now, we're probably fooling ourselves. If we don't jump until we think we have everything figured out, we're never going to jump. A life of faith is filled with uncertainty so that we are forced to depend on God and that he receives the glory when everything comes together. So if we know all of it ahead of time, where's the glory in that? Where, where does that prove that our faith in God is um, coming to fruition? Um, taking risks and making decisions that take us into the unknown. Leaving our Egypts and fighting our giants in order to pass into the promised land. This is faith. This is trusting in God rather than ourselves. This is the means by which our lives wind up looking uncommon. If God is calling you to do something you're not sure how to do, make the decision to say yes, even if you can't control the consequences. Say yes, even if it's something small, because it may pave the way for something much bigger. God cannot guide us if we are unwilling to say yes to his leading. But the wonderful certainty we have in the midst of all the uncertainty is he only wants what's best for us. We can trust his love, so we can trust his lead. So remember, it's not about how weak we are. It's about how strong God is. Be aware of the sacred moments in your life when God may be asking you to go through the fire or the water in order to be set apart for him. This is the place of abundance. So now comes like the super cool part. After I finished all my preparations for this talk, which is like super scary for me as it is, God challenged me to put all of this into action with my own big, scary jump this morning. Um, I talked about the refining fire in my life that I buried my talents, afraid to use my voice, plagued with self-doubt. God has chosen this sacred moment in my life to heat up that refining fire just a little bit hotter. <laughs> He's asking me to walk out the message by doing something that I've really long been afraid to do, and that is to play the piano and sing a song that I wrote. So what it all boils down to for me is this. I can't tell the Lord, yes, I'm all in. I want to live a life of big faith for you, except I don't want you to have this little part, which is my songs, or this little part, which is whatever it is for you. If he wants to use my songs, he can use them. I'm not an accomplished pianist by any means. I was actually hoping Jessie with her anointed voice could sing the song this morning, but Matthew made me do it. <laughs> so, um, and I get really nervous when I sing, but what I have is surrender to the Lord. And as God once told my dear friend Kelly, I have not called you to display your talents, but to offer your gifts. So I offer my gifts to the Lord this morning, and as I play, I would encourage you to think, if there's something the Lord is asking you to leave behind,
that you don't really want to let go of or something ahead of you that he's calling you to jump into and you're afraid because you can't see what's on the other side. Make the decision and jump. 